Thank you for standing by, and welcome to Schrodinger's Compass Call for the fourth quarter and four-year 2020 financial results. My name is Sarah, and I'll be your conference operator today. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star then one on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded at the company's request. Now I'd like to introduce your host of today's conference, Ms. Jaren Madden, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations and Communications. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's call during which we will provide an update on the company and review our fourth quarter and full year 2020 financial results. Earlier this morning, we issued a press release summarizing our financial results and progress across the company, which is available on our website at www.schrodinger.com. Here with me on our call today is Rami Fareed, President and Chief Executive Officer, Karen Akinsanya, Executive Vice President, Chief Biomedical Scientist, and Head of Discovery R&D, and Joel Lebowitz, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Following our remarks, we'll open up the call for Q&A. I'd like to remind you that during today's call, management will make statements related to our business that are forward-looking and are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, including without limitation statements related to our future financial performance, including our outlook for the full year 2021, the potential advantages of our platform, our strategic plans to accelerate the growth of our software business and advance our collaborative and internal drug discovery programs, risks related to the COVID-19 pandemic, our expectations related to the use of our cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities, as well as our future operating expenses. These forward-looking statements reflect our current views about our plans, intentions, expectations, strategies, and prospects, which are based on the information currently available to us and on assumptions we have made. Actual results may differ materially from those described in the forward-looking statements and are subject to a variety of assumptions, uncertainties, risks, and factors that are beyond our control, including the demand for our software solutions, our ability to develop our computational platform, our reliance upon drug discovery collaborators and other risks detailed under the caption risk factors and elsewhere in our most recent Securities and Exchange Commission filings and reports. Except as required by law, we undertake no duty or obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed on this call as a result of new information, future events, changes in expectations, or otherwise. These forward-looking statements should not be relied upon as representing our views as of any date subsequent to today. During this call, we will also discuss certain financial and operating metrics, which are further described in our financial results press release and SEC filings. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Rami. Thanks, Sharon, and thank you everyone for joining us this morning. At Schrodinger, we have developed a world-class computational platform that is accelerating drug discovery and materials design by predicting key molecular properties with very high accuracy. We license our software to biopharma and industrial companies worldwide, and we are also leveraging our platform to advance a pipeline of collaborative and internal drug discovery programs with the aim of bringing new medicines to patients. We are extremely pleased with our execution across our business in 2020. Total revenue was $108.1 million, a 26% increase over the prior year. As you'll hear from Karen shortly, we also made excellent progress on our discovery pipeline 
and expect to initiate IND-enabling studies later this year for multiple programs. We also achieved important milestones in several of our collaborative programs, with three moving into the clinic in 2020. Additionally, we entered into a strategic collaboration with Bristol-Myers Squibb to discover, develop, and commercialize therapeutics in multiple disease areas. The agreement provided $55 million to Schrodinger up front, and we are eligible to receive up to $2.7 billion in preclinical development, regulatory, and commercial milestones in addition to royalties on net sales of each product commercialized by Bristol-Myers Squibb. We are very pleased to be working with BMS, a proven leader in the areas of oncology and immunology. Turning to our software business, we saw very strong revenue growth in 2020. Software revenue was $92.5 million, a 39% increase over 2019, and we expect continued growth this year. We continue to receive excellent feedback from customers on the impact our platform is having on their discovery programs from both biopharma and materials companies. We are also continuing to advance the science underlying our platform. We extended FEP Plus to more accurately model binding affinities of metalloprotein inhibitors, an important class of inhibitors, better support macrocycle design and optimization, and more accurately predict binding selectivity, which is a major way of reducing potential toxicity of drug molecules. We also released a new active learning workflow for structure-based hit discovery, which can screen massive libraries of compounds with greatly improved computational efficiency. We plan to continue to invest heavily in the underlying science of our platform with a focus on increasing accuracy of the predictions and expanding the domain of applicability to a wider range of targets. As you'll hear shortly from Joel, we ended 2020 in a strong financial position with cash resources of $643 million. In addition to the continued investment in our computational platform, we are investing in our internal discovery programs to key value inflection points. We are adding new talent to support our R&D initiatives, and we recently hired our first head of early development. Our large number of drug discovery collaborations will continue to play a strategically important role for us as well. We believe having a mix of partnered and wholly owned programs provides us with the flexibility to create long-term value for our shareholders. We're excited by the many advances we've made, and we expect continued progress across all aspects of our business, our internal pipeline, our collaborative and partner programs, and our software business to support both drug discovery and materials design. We continue to navigate the challenges of COVID-19 and working remotely, and we're extremely appreciative of the dedication and resilience of our employees at Schrodinger. I'll now turn the call over to Karen for an update on our drug discovery programs. Thank you, Rami, and good morning, everyone. In 2020, we continued to make important advances on many fronts across our internal pipeline and portfolio of collaborative programs. Throughout 2020, we reported a significant increase in the number of collaborative programs in lead optimization. By the end of 2020, several of these programs had entered preclinical development or Phase 1. We expect additional collaborative programs currently at the lead optimization stage to advance during 2021. We have made significant progress in our internal oncology programs targeting solid tumors and hematological malignancies. As Rami mentioned, last year we entered into a strategic collaboration with Bristol-Myers Squibb for the discovery of small molecule compounds directed to five biological targets in oncology, neurology, and immunology. We are pleased that two of our internal programs, HIF2-alpha and SOS1-KRAS, 
are part of this collaboration. I'll focus the rest of my remarks on our three wholly owned programs, Malt1, CDC7 and We1. Based on the strong data we've generated to date, we plan to move forward with IND enabling studies for these programs. Subject to completion of the preclinical data packages, we expect to submit up to three IND applications in 2022, with the first submissions expected in the first half of next year. Starting with MALT1, we have made significant progress in the last year. MALT1 is a protein that is downstream of BTK in the NF-kappa B signaling pathway. Constant activation of NF-kappa B is a hallmark of several subtypes of lymphoma. We believe that inhibiting MALT1 could be an effective therapeutic strategy to treat certain relapsed or resistant B-cell lymphomas or chronic lymphocytic leukemia. In December, we presented preclinical data from this program at the American Society for Hematology annual meeting. Our compound showed potent in vitro inhibition of MALT1 enzymatic activity. We also reported in vivo anti-tumor activity in mouse xenograft models of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, a very difficult-to-treat blood cancer. Additionally, in in vivo models, our MALT1 inhibitors demonstrated dose-dependent antiproliferative effects in combination with abrutinib and venetoclax, which are approved BTK and BCL2 inhibitors, respectively. Now I'll turn to CDC7 and WE1, two programs that target cancer through replication stress and DNA damage repair mechanisms. CDC7 is a protein kinase that has been shown to be required in DNA replication initiation. CDC7 is thought to be linked to cancer cells' proliferative capacity and ability to bypass normal DNA damage responses. Targeting proteins that play important roles in DNA replication and replication stress is gaining momentum as a new therapeutic approach for cancer. With our program, we believe we have an opportunity to develop a best-in-class inhibitor by improving on key properties including binding affinity, selectivity and the pharmacokinetic profile. We expect to report preclinical data from our CDC7 program in the first half of this year. WE1 is a tyrosine kinase regulator of the G2M cell cycle checkpoint and is a well-validated biological target. The therapeutic objective of targeting WE1 is to reduce cell viability by inducing G2M phase arrest and apoptosis of cancer cells. Others have shown clinically meaningful tumor regression in uterine serous carcinoma, ovarian and small cell carcinoma through WE1 inhibition. However, existing inhibitors have profiles that may make dosing and combination therapy more challenging. We have identified tight-binding, highly selective molecules with optimized drug-like properties, including no observable inactivation of CYP3A4, a key liver enzyme. As these programs advance and transition into development, we expect to initiate new programs. We have prioritized several new program opportunities with human genetic support and emerging pharmacology data in oncology and immunology. We expect to launch these programs later this year. In summary, our diverse portfolio of collaborative and internal programs is rapidly advancing towards the clinic. 
Activities to support expansion of our pipeline into additional disease areas are well underway. It has been extremely gratifying to realize the power of our computational platform as we advance our own pipeline. I look forward to updating you on our R&D activities throughout the year. I will now turn the call over to Joel to review our financial results. Thank you, Karen, and hello, everyone. This morning, I'm pleased to discuss our 2020 financial results, and I'll also provide our outlook for 2021. I'll start with a review of the fourth quarter. Total revenue was $33 million, up 28% compared to the fourth quarter of 2019. Software revenue was $25 million, representing 42% growth compared to the fourth quarter of 2019. As was the case throughout the year, the growth in software revenue was primarily driven by increased adoption of our solutions by large customers, as well as the addition of new customers during the quarter. Drug discovery revenue was $8.1 million, compared to $8.3 million in the fourth quarter of 2019, Revenue this quarter included $1 million from our collaboration with Bristol-Myers Squibb, announced in November. The agreement included a $55 million upfront cash payment, $54 million of which is reflected in deferred revenue and is expected to be recognized over the next three to four years as we progress the BMS programs to development candidates. Operating expense was $35.6 million compared to $23.4 million in the fourth quarter of 2019, reflecting our investment in R&D to advance the science underlying our platform and to progress our internal drug discovery programs, as well as costs required to support a public company infrastructure. We recorded a net loss after adjusting for non-controlling interests of $11.1 million compared to a loss of $6.8 million in the fourth quarter of 2019. For the full year, total revenue was $108.1 million, a 26% increase over 2019. Software revenue was $92.5 million, up 39% versus 2019, with strong growth in both life sciences and material science. Discovery revenue was $15.6 million, compared to $18.8 million in 2019. As we've stated before, discovery revenue fluctuates from period to period, as it is dependent on the timing of project milestones. Additionally, discovery revenue is impacted by the timing and revenue recognition of certain transactions, such as the BMS agreement. As I mentioned earlier, $54 million related to the upfront payment from BMS in November was reflected in deferred revenue at year-end. As a result, total deferred revenue was $86.6 million versus $27.3 million at the end of 2019. Of this total, deferred revenue related to software was $30.2 million, up 22% versus the end of 2019, also contributing to the overall growth. Full-year operating expense was $124.4 million versus $87.8 million in 2019, reflecting our increased investment in R&D and increases in G&A to support our operations as a public company. In 2020, we recorded other income of $34.6 million compared to $12.7 million in 2019, driven primarily by the increased market value of our equity holdings in Morphic and Relay. These results demonstrate the value creation opportunity of our collaboration strategy. Net loss, after adjusting for non-controlling interests, was $24.5 million compared to a loss of $24.6 million in 2019. We ended 2020 with cash, equivalents, marketable securities, and restricted cash balances of $643.2 million, up from $599.5 million at the end of the third quarter of 2020, primarily due to the $55 million upfront payment from BMS. For the full year, operating activities generated $16.8 million in net cash 
versus using 26.1 million in net cash in 2019. In addition to the financial results we just reviewed, I'd like to report on some key software performance indicators for 2020. Total Software Annual Contract Value, or ACV, reached $92.1 million in 2020, representing annual growth of 22%, which is an increase from the 18% annual growth rate we saw in 2019. The number of customers with ACV of more than $1 million increased to 16, up from 10 in 2019. Customers with an ACV over 100,000 increased to 153, compared to 131 in 2019. This customer cohort represented 79% of our total ACV in 2020, and our retention in this customer segment was 99%. Finally, the number of total active customers was 1,463 compared to 1,266 in 2019. We are pleased with the performance across our business, and as we look ahead to this year, we are focused on executing on our strategy and generating long-term growth. At this time, I'll provide our revenue expectations for 2021. We expect total annual revenue to be in the range of 124 to 142 million, which includes software revenue of 102 to 110 million and discovery revenue of 22 to 32 million. With regard to software, we are excited about the momentum we've established and the opportunity for growth ahead. In 2020, we saw a large increase in the number of customers spending over 1 million per year which helped drive our strong revenue growth. We continue to work with our customers to demonstrate the benefits of deploying our solutions at an even greater scale, and we believe there is opportunity for ongoing significant growth over time. Due to the increasing size of the individual contracts and the timeframes associated with larger scale deployments, we anticipate this growth will vary from quarter to quarter and even year to year. For 2021 specifically, we expect that software growth will be higher in the second half of the year than in the first half due to some of these same factors. With respect to drug discovery revenue, there are a few elements that impact our guidance. The first is revenue recognition related to the BMS transaction. As I've mentioned, we received $55 million in the fourth quarter of 2020, of which $54 million was reflected in deferred revenue. We anticipate this revenue will be recognized over the next three to four years as we advance the programs to development candidates. The second element that impacts our guidance is our strategy to progress our lead internal programs into the clinic ourselves. As a result, we do not currently anticipate licensing revenue in 2021 related to these programs. And finally, as we previously indicated, a portion of discovery revenue is driven by the timing of collaboration programs achieving certain milestones and can therefore vary from period to period. Finally, I'd like to comment on how we expect operating expense and software gross margin to trend for the year. We anticipate that operating expense growth will be higher than the 42% annual growth rate we saw in 2020, driven by our commitment to fund R&D to advance our technology and our internal drug discovery pipeline. We also anticipate that software gross margin will be lower than the 81% reported in 2020, reflecting investment to drive and support large-scale adoption by our customers. We are very pleased with the results we've achieved over the past year, and we are excited about the opportunities that lie ahead to advance our strategy and drive long-term growth across our business. I'll now turn the call back over to Rami. Thanks, Joel. 2021 has the potential to be another strong year for Schrodinger. We anticipate continued growth in our software business and progress with our collaborative and partnered programs. And we are building our internal discovery capabilities to support the addition of new programs in 2021 and IND submissions for our most advanced programs in 2022. 
We have an exceptional team committed to transforming the way therapeutics and materials are discovered, and we look forward to providing updates on our progress throughout the year. At this time, we'd be happy to take your questions. Operator? Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you will need to press star than one on your telephone. Mm -hmm. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Our first question comes on the line of Michael Yee with Jeffries. Your line is now open. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, the question. Uh, I think I have two, and I think it would be very helpful because I think investors are quite confused, and I'm sure you can see where the stock is trading. Number one, on 2021 guidance, can you clarify your software guidance, 102, 102 to 110? I think it implies like, I don't know, 13, 14% year-over-year growth, yet you just came off a whopping 40%. So are are you putting some conservatism in there? I know Joel made some comments about second half better than first half. So just help us out with that a little bit. I mean, you you, you had a great 2020, and so people are thinking, well, why did we drop to 14%? So talk about that a lot and tell me if there's conservatism in there. And then um, secondly, uh, can you talk about the drug discovery portion? I think you made some comments about that, and um, I think some of that uh, lower than consensus revenue is due to amortization of milestones and things of that nature. So you can talk to those two different lines. That would be great. Okay. Joe? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, so, you know, in 2020, we're obviously really happy with the progress that we made. Um, and the fact that it's underpinned by larger contracts and the addition of new customers in a really challenging environment. Uh, one impact of contracts getting larger, and we're, we're talking about contracts that are now multi-millions of dollars, is that there's also the potential for more revenue growth variability from quarter to quarter and uh, year to year as well. Um, and, um, but, you know, what we see, uh, going forward is that we're really very excited about the continuing opportunity for, for growth in both sides of our business, both life science and material science. So if you look at the, what, what, uh, what drove the business in 2021 and the increase in, um, annual contract value or ACV from, uh, an 18% growth rate in 2019 to a 22% growth rate in 2020, uh, is, you know, it's the same things that we've been talking about all year, uh, continuing increase in large-scale adoptions by our customers and the addition of new, new, new customers. Um, you know, we know the scale at which we are deploying uh, our solutions on our own internal programs to great impact, and it's still uh, quite a bit larger than even our uh, largest customers. And on the addition of new customer side, um, we uh, are still, we believe, in the early phases, for instance, of our growth cycle in the materials business. So we really see significant growth opportunity over the, uh, over the long term uh, in, on, in both those areas, and we're investing to capitalize on that. Um, but you will see uh, variability in revenue as our contracts get larger, um, you know, uh, and that is driven by the timing, the, the kind of contract that it is, and other factors. So, um, you know, our guidance is, uh, you know, we're providing guidance to kind of help you understand uh, 2021, but our um, uh, expectations over the longer term are for continued significant growth. 
Jill, you want to emphasize also the, re the second part of my question about the BMS uh, revenue recognition? Oh, thank you for reminding me about that. Yes, thank yeah. you. So on the drug discovery side, in the fourth quarter, uh, as you know, we received $55 million in uh, cash from BMS in late in the year. It was in November. So um, uh, we were uh, we recognized a million dollars from that $55 million in revenue, 54 million of it went into deferred revenue. Uh, we will uh, recognize a much larger amount uh, related to that in 2021 um, as we uh, work on the programs and uh, progress them towards delivering development candidates. And that 54 million will be uh, recognized over the next three to four years as we do that. Um, and so, um, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, may explain the uh, the gap that you were talking about. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Duke Kim with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, I, I wanted to uh, ask about the drug discovery revenue guidance portion um, of your guidance. And uh, what, besides the BMS uh, upfront payment, are you expecting uh, to drive that guidance? Um, the collaboration programs that you have ongoing, were there any discontinuations or delays that play a part in that guidance? And uh, did you, did you say that you're not expecting a partnership for an internal program this year? Um, sure, Doug, I can answer that question. So with regard to 2021 discovery guidance, um, as I mentioned, obviously, uh, BMS uh, revenue will be recognized, continue to be recognized in 2021, obviously, to a higher degree than it was in the fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, but uh, we do expect to continue to uh, earn milestone and research funding, milestone and research funding revenue in 2021 related to our collaborations. Um, I will say that, um, that um, you know, with regard to uh, uh, receiving those, you know, they, the, the programs are advancing broadly. Um, I th you know, Karen has talked about this, I think, most recently. You saw a great, uh, great news release from Morphic on Morph 057 that we worked on uh, earlier this week. Uh, and um, in addition to the milestones, you need to also uh, consider the, the increase in equity value that we have been deriving from these collaborations. So, uh, you know, last year we saw a significant contribution in terms of other income from our equity stakes in Relay, uh, Morphic, as well as uh, cash distribution from Petra. And, you know, so far this year, um, that has been continuing. So um, with regard to our internal programs, what I was referring to there is that our three lead programs, uh, as we've talked about, um, Malt 1, CDC 7, and WE 1, we are intending to take into the clinic ourselves, and so uh, at least towards the clinic and, um, and into the clinic. Uh, and... Therefore, we're not planning at this point, uh, we're not guiding to any licensing revenue uh, related to uh, those programs in 2021 as we continue to advance those ourselves. 
Um, with regard to possible other uh, transactions um, that m may or may not occur this year, we're not guiding to that right now. It's um, you know we're not including that in our in our guidance. Okay, got it. Um, and 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 additionally on the internal programs, uh, you're expecting your first IND filing in the first half of 21. Uh, is that a delay to your uh, prior expectations? And so what, what's driving that? Karen, do you want to address that? Yeah, hi, Doug. Um No, that, that does not represent a delay. Um, in fact, uh, I think we've in the past um, explained that our programs have actually moved uh, faster than we expected. And in the case of Malt 1, uh, we're just around the two-year mark and um, by the time we initiate GLP Talks, it will be about two years, actually, uh, since we started the program. So there are no delays um, at this point. Um, all of our programs, the data packages are looking good, and uh, we're pretty confident about uh, the opportunity to initiate that first uh, GLP Talk study in the first half of this year. And as Joel said, um, also the opportunity for the additional programs um, over the coming uh, year as well. And from from the sounds of your comment, it seems that Malt One uh, is your will be your first IND. Um, yes, based on uh, all the information we have right now, we did present uh, data at Ash, and um, I think you've had an opportunity to see that um, as, as we discussed. Uh, the package really does look very supportive, and uh, we are on track as we discussed to uh, file that first GLP um, uh, in the first half of this year, and we're expecting to initiate clinical trials in the first half of next year. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Riskin with Bank of America. Your line is now open. Hey, thanks for taking the question, guys. Uh, not to belabor a point, but I want to go back to the software guide a little bit. Um, just to parse it out, uh, I mean, given how critical it is for the model. Um, historically, you've had really good visibility on feature year revenues, just given the nature of the license contracts um, and the fact that there's a pretty substantial amount of deferred revenue every year, um, the fact that a lot of the contracts are annual, the, the renewal rates, you know, all the visibility that that provides you. So just to go back to that, you know, 10 to 19% um, software outlook, uh, you commented on, on more and more large contracts as, as the mix uh, shifts. Is there something that's different about the visibility in these contracts? Is there, is there something that uh, makes you a little bit more cautious about the renewal rate, the pacing of them coming through, um, any call you can provide on how that affects your, you know, your forward visibility um, on the deferred revenue, on the, on the renewals, and the conversion there? And then um, I've got a follow-up question on the drug discovery side. Sure, Mike, I can answer that. Um, thanks for the question. So, um, you know, really when you think about uh, driving larger and larger contracts, um, and again, we think the opportunity is, is still very significant, um, you know, uh, the larger commitments that customers are making, uh, there's, you know, there's a lead time, there's a, uh, there's a deployment time, um, and so, um, uh, can, you know, can, they will, uh, they will, uh, uh, we will enter into these contracts. Um, we, we anticipate 
um, you know, at larger and larger levels over time. But, uh, you know, uh, the timing of when uh, we convert customers to these larger levels um, does play a more outsized factor the larger they get. Um, you know, with regard to retention rates, um, you know, there's no issues there. Obviously, you saw that we, uh, you know, have 99% retention in our large customer base, you know, over 100,000 ACV. Um, it's really about uh, uh, pretty significant decisions that our customers have to make, you know, multi-million dollar commitments that they have to make to upsize. And sometimes that takes time, and we're, we work hard to demonstrate to our customers the value that we're seeing on our, on our internal programs in applying our solutions at much greater scale than they're currently applying to their own programs, and that's an ongoing discussion that we have. Um, so there's both sales cycle and deployment time, and you know that does in fact impact the, the variability in the growth rate. Um, but we are confident that over the long term, the the value of deploying our programs at much larger scale uh, is is large and um, significant, and you know we are working to achieve that over you know multi year period. And Mike, let me emphasize that you know it's still we still continue to receive really um, extraordinarily good feedback on um, on the software on the impact it's having, and that's increasing. Um, so that's a really really important thing that we continue to see. So still lots of optimism about um, being able to uh, convince customers to scale up to this you know to the level of usage that we're we're our partners and and us internally are using. So would it be fair to say that the, you know, again, you saw about 40% software growth in 2020. A lot of that was, as you noted, was a move up in terms of ACV from medium to large to very large. You're not anticipating that those were one-time moves and some of those people may scale back down or may take a pause. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. And then um, follow-up question, um, if I can squeeze the second one in. Um, you know, on the on the balance sheet and sort of the strength you have there and how that's going into the into the business, obviously very um, very strong balance sheet. Uh, how should we think about that being deployed across the business? Um, I mean, you've got more than enough to support your cash flow um, and your cash needs as it is now. So, yeah. are, are we anticipating accelerating spend to support the clinical trials? How should we phase out through the course through the rest of this year um, and next year as those three lead? Um, with compounds move forward, or is it sort of the back end of the portfolio, reinvesting the software business? Could you comment on that? Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're obviously most excited about is the progress of the internal programs, the three that, that Karen talked about. And, uh, you know, that, that I think that, you know, that, that should be viewed, of course, as a very positive thing that um, these programs have progressed to the point that they have, that we've been able to build internally, um, organization that's required to be able to go into IND enabling studies and then into the clinic, and that there's so much excitement about the mechanisms. Um, so that's that's definitely um, you know one of the very important uh, you know part of our strategy is is to um, take these programs you know further into the clinic to you know significant uh, value inflection points. We are also, as you know, we have a 
really differentiated platform and a, and a significant, um, you know, lead over anybody else in the space. And in order to maintain that lead, it is important to continue to, you know, very aggressively invest in that platform, maintain that lead, and also um, to continue to advance the technology. We're seeing the impact it's having at our customer sites, at our own internal programs, at our collaborative programs. And, and we, we're, we've demonstrated that um, that investment in the science and getting the science right and, uh, you know, has a really profound impact on, on the way programs progress. So we'll continue um, to, to, to lead um, in, in this space and, and to advance not only the accuracy of the methods, but the domain of applicability, which allows us to work on even more targets than, than what's possible today. Okay, thank you. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you would need to press star then one on your telephone. Our next question comes from the line of David Lebowitz with Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Hello, question. Hello, thank you for taking my question. Uh, given uh, the ACB is at 92, um, does it suggest that the ability to actually gain uh, new customers is, 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 is somewhat limited um, at this point? Or I guess what type of customers at this point are you actually trying to add? Yeah. So um, it depends on what area of the business we're talking about. So on the life science side, as you know, um, the, the main source of growth there, as, as Joel talked about and as we've talked about before, um, is to increase usage. We um, see huge opportunity there because, as Joel said, um, the level of usage of the software is much, much lower, even at our larger, largest customers, than it is than what we're using internally and what, our, what we're using with our partners. On the material science side, there, there, um, a lot of the growth is coming from new customers and new verticals that we're getting into. Uh, so I ho hopefully that answers your question. And I guess if we look across the client base, I know that you, you definitely have had a lot more customers added to the 1 million users, ACV users, mm -hmm. and, and more added to the 100,000 ACV users. That's right. Um, with that in mind, um, are there a proportion of, of users in the 1 million um, that are disproportionate um, and actually uh, affecting the lion's share of the revenue um, among all the users? So while there might be 16 in the 1 million plus users, are, are there a smaller proportion that are uh, disproportionately affecting the entire revenue base? Yeah, I mean, I can answer that, Mom, if you like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Thanks, I, I think we, we, you know, in our in our K, you can see the top 10 counted for 34% of our revenue, uh, our top 10 customers. Um, it's up from, uh, I believe, 29% the year before. So, um, so it is up, but, you know, it's uh, – and that's an important uh, element of our growth strategy. Obviously, as I mentioned, our large customers getting much larger is, is – um, uh, remains to be a, a big opportunity for us going forward, as Ronnie just discussed. Um, and, and there's plenty of runway left for, for, for growth there, we believe. Um, but really, we saw growth across uh, – real broad-based growth across the business. Um, you know, importantly, we also saw, you know, uh, you know, it was driven by uptake in our core solutions like FEP Plus across the business, our enterprise solution live design that connects the entire discovery workflow 
um, and um, really supporting very uh, solid growth in both life science and material science. And, you know, that led to the, you know, the broad um, acceleration in ACV in 2020, and it's why we are um, very excited about the, um, you know, multi-year opportunity that we believe we have to both increase contract size across the business as well as increase the number of customers as we continue particularly to uh, uh, grow, to uh, advance the material science uh, business. Thank you for taking my questions. You bet. Thank you. Our last question comes from the line of Robert Brooks with Brick by Brick Capital. Your line is now open. Hi, guys. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to talk and touch base a little more on the sales strategy of kind of rolling up those medium-sized customers to large-sized customers. And I also wanted to clarify on the 99% retention rate. Is that just for the annual contracts of over 100000 and is that including the contracts of $1 million and over? Thank you. Uh, yes, on the second part of your question, yes, it includes all customers over 100000 including the ones over a million, which is, as Joel said, 79% of the revenue. And then you said, and then you were asking the strategy for um, growing the, the, those customers over 100000 Is that what you were asking? Yeah, and then also the strategy for bringing in new customers, because I see that your guys' sales and marketing went down from 21 to 17 year over year, 19 to 20. So I was kind of wondering what's that, why is that dropping when you guys are trying to get in more customers in the door and grow those customers? Right, right. So the strategy on the life science side is quite simple, um, and we've talked a lot about this. So um, we, of course, have, you know, quite a number, close to 25 programs or so that we're running where we're essentially using the software at scale, at the appropriate scale to, to see the sort of, to see the impact that, that we're seeing in our programs, and Karen touched on that. And so we're, um, that's the story on, on the pharma side, is, is helping customers um, see that impact, but also um, deploying it. So, this is this requires a, a pretty significant change in how a drug discovery projects are run. You know, shifting from from trial and error and just making a lot of compounds to really deploying um, computation on, on a large scale, and that's the the process there. That's something that um, is a scientist to scientist sort of conversation, and we have a lot of people in the company, including people in our drug discovery group, that get involved in that in that process. On the material science side. Um, where we're sort of a newer player in that in that space, and, and then the awareness isn't as high as it is on the pharma side. There, um, it's, it's invo- involves that sort of, you know, what 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 is the potential role of computation in in molecular design of materials? Now, the challenge there is, um, unlike in drug discovery, where essentially every pharma and biotech company is, you know, effectively doing the same thing, and the vocabulary is the same. In materials, it's a lot of different verticals. You know, we, we have to talk to companies that are designing organic light-emitting diodes, designing battery um, electrolytes, designing polymers, you know, electronics industry. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of different um, verticals, and we're building up that, um, that part of the organization to 
um, be able to, um, you know, get the word out about the, the impact that computation is having on design of all types of materials. Hey, Rami, if I could add on the sales yeah, and marketing please. expense progression that um, you referenced. So um, 2020 was um, obviously an interesting year for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, one of the impacts of COVID, obviously, was uh, uh, a change in how we sell and market our programs, our software, and um, the uh, part of that result was a reduction in uh the software, uh, the sales and marketing effort uh, in terms of expenses during the year, travel, conferences, things of, of that nature. The, the, the really exciting thing about um, the way we, what we learned from that was um, obviously very, uh, you know, a very difficult situation for everybody, but um, what we did learn was that, uh, you know, other ways for us to effectively communicate and stay in front of our customers and engage with uh, even new customers. You saw the the addition of new customers across the across the different segments, um, uh, customer size segments, and you know um, the thing that uh, going forward, what we anticipate is a return to uh, hopefully uh, some semblance of normal at some point during the year, where we can re-engage with the customers in in person. We can be in person at conferences, um, and we are planning for those uh, uh, reinvestments, if you will. Uh, at some point during the year, but we'll also uh, retain the uh, what we've learned about uh, efficiently reaching out uh, this year, which was very effective. But I think you need a combination of those. So we will be we do plan to um, be investing in um, sales and marketing, and also uh, scientific and technical support that Rami alluded to that are necessary to really pull through and support these large scale deployments, larger and larger scale deployments that are so critical. Thank you, guys. I've answered it really well. Great. Thank you. There are no further questions. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. <laughs>